Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Title of this new series is Christmas Is. Christmas Is. Everybody say Christmas Is. And the reason why is Christmas is way more than a tree, way more than gifts under a tree, way more than your favorite Christmas movie, way more than going to a Christmas tree lighting, way more than it being cold and snowy. I hate the cold, but it's way more than it being cold. Um, who, who, who loves cold? I don't get you, okay? Who loves the warm, sunny days? Come on now, summertime, summertime. Um, so I'm going to enjoy Christmas, but I don't like being cold. Um, Christmas is way more than that. And so each week, we're going to show you a facet of the kingdom of what Christmas really is. And the first title of my message today is Christmas is the gift of seeing more. The gift of seeing more. Uh, do you remember your favorite Christmas gift of your whole life? Mine was a game gear. Wow, silent. <laughs> game gear, you say? Um, game gear uh, was made by Sega Genesis, okay? We were poor on food stamps. I didn't think we were going to be able to get it. And I remember Christmas was over. But my parents once in a while would hide one big gift at the very end and bring it out like very, you know, like, oh, hold on. We found another one behind the tree, Tyler, you know. And so they bring this uh, gift. And I remember opening up the uh, game gear, not thinking we'd be able to get it. Not, there, no way. I mean, our stocking was full of toothbrush, toothpaste, like stuff like that, like normal survival stuff, okay? It's a survival kit. No, it's your stocking, okay? When you're poor, you get survival stuff in your stocking, all right? And so uh, you could tell how Christmas was going to be what was in your stocking. Oh, we poured this year. You never knew. I didn't know my parents' bank account. I just knew by the stocking, okay? So uh, I got a lot of toothpaste that year. So I was like, there's no way we're going to game gear this year. It's cool. I had to, you know, you got to be... Thank you so much for my toothpaste. You know, <laughs> got to be thankful, you know? And so I remember my parents bringing out the game gear and me opening it up and I lost it. Like the greatest gift I'd ever received. To this day, it's my favorite Christmas moment I've ever had uh, when it comes to receiving a gift on Christmas, Okay. I'm here to submit to you that I'm going to give you the three greatest gifts you ever got. The three greatest gifts on the planet that Jesus came to give us. And, and I, want, I, want to, I want to tell you why the message is titled, uh, The Gift of Seeing More. I'm going to go all the way to 2 Kings, Second Kings, and here's why. Helen Keller said this. If you don't know who Helen Keller is, she was born in the late 1800s, died in the mid-1900s. She wrote over 14 books, uh, traveled over 30 countries, and spoke. Uh, not only that, Helen Keller was deaf and blind. At 18 months old, she went deaf and blind. Okay? Now, I want you to hear this real quick. Helen Keller was quoted saying this. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. She goes on to say, hey, no, there's something worse than my condition. It's somebody who can see, has breath in their lungs, and has no vision for their life. That doesn't see more. And the reality is there's a lot of people living around and saying, it is what it is. This is my life. There's nothing more for me. But then Jesus comes on the scene as Emmanuel, God with us, say, hey, I want to show you more. I want to read you a verse in 2 Kings that really points to the, the, the coming of Jesus. When a servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And here's what the servant said. Oh, no. Everybody say, oh, no. Oh, no, my Lord. What shall we do? There's been way too many oh, no moments the last two years. Oh, no, Delta. Oh, no, Omnicrom. Oh, no, Megatron. I don't care what Transformer name is coming next. I'm done saying, oh, no. Oh, no. We got it in America now. First case was in San Francisco. Of course it was. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. The prophet says, don't be afraid. Everybody say, don't be afraid. Most repeated phrase in all the Bible. 300 plus times, do not fear. The reality is a lot of people are afraid because they haven't seen something bigger than their fear yet. This Christmas, you're going to see something bigger. So he says, don't be afraid. Man, fear's going to die this year. 
Stop, can I just pass you real quick? Stop living in fear. If you're watching, stop living. If fear is controlling you, all your decisions are based in fear, you're not living the life God called you to live. That's not the spirit of God. Fear is not of God. Fear is a tool from the enemy to paralyze you, to own you, to literally, um, if, if you uh, look at the Bible, it says do not worry. Literally is the Greek word of it wants to choke you out and have you not even breathe. It doesn't even want you to live. Fear doesn't even want you to live. So it says do not be afraid. And Elijah prayed. Hold on, time out. I want to catch this real quick. And Elijah prayed. He could have prayed a lot of things. So the, the, the servant comes, oh no, oh no, oh no, um, uh, they were surrounded by uh, a bunch of things, bad, bad, the, the army, they're going to destroy us, oh no, oh no. Elijah could have came out and said, God, get this bad people out of here, get it out of here. The, the enemy, if Elijah was here today, he could be like, I'm going to pray, get the Omnicrom out, get the Omnicrom, I love the new one, one, Omnicrom, way more than Delta, okay, it's just a fun name, okay. Because I loved, who grew up Transformer fan? I did. So I was like, if we're going to do Transformer names, I'm in. You know what I'm saying? So Omnicron. Like, he could have prayed, get the COVID out. You know, he could have prayed, get the bad things out. Get all. That's not what he prays. Here's what he prays. And I believe this is God's prayer for us. And in in one of the biggest meanings of Christmas, I'm going to show you. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Some of you need to have your eyes open today. Nothing worse than having eyes that see, but only see right here. Only having eyes that see, they only see right here, and they never open their eyes up to the things of God. Let me keep going. Open their eyes that they may see. Uh, open the Lord's servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. So here's what he's doing. He prays that he would see that there are more for him than there are against him. And my prayer today is I'm going to show you three things that Jesus came to earth. The reason why he came to earth, Emmanuel, is to show you that there is somebody bigger than, uh, than who is after you. Hope that makes sense. Can I pray for you? Can we pray one more time? Does that sound good? Will you bow your heads? <laughs> Lord, I thank you so much. I am fun with the church today. Lord, I thank you that you're a kind God. You're a good God. Uh, Lord, there are people in the room right now that need fresh vision. We don't find it from just some book. We don't find it from just a New Year's resolution. We find it from your Holy Spirit. We find it when you, literally, the word called revelation, you peel back the curtain. You show us something we never could have seen before. God, I pray right now that our eyes would be open to see the goodness of God, your plan, your promises. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would see that greater is he is in me than who is after me. And everybody said? Turn your Bibles to Matthew 1. Matthew 1. I got to say it real quick. It is a challenge every Christmas to take the familiar and make it fresh. You hear the story of a little baby in a manger. You hear the story uh, from Isaiah. He should be called Maui Counselor. You hear all these stories over and over again, all these Christmas cards. And would you just pray real quick with me? I want, I want everybody to put your hand over your heart. This is, this is so I was praying. I just want to pray that it would be fresh for you this year. That this wouldn't be through the motions. God, I pray right now that our hearts will be soft. Oh, make it fresh again. Lord, that you came as a baby. You came to this earth as a lamb to pay a sacrifice. Oh, may this be a fresh story to us again. Oh, make our hearts not hard to this or numb to this. May we hear it for the first time. May we see new things this Christmas that would transform us for the rest of our life. You're not done changing us, Lord. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. 
because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Come on now. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The first gift that we get is the gift of God is with us. John Wesley, if you know who John Wesley is, birthed the Methodist movement, one of the greatest revivals in our, uh, in our history. And his dying words, the, on his deathbed, this is what his dying words were. I want to read it to you. The best of all of us is God is with us. And then he passed away. John Wesley maybe knew something you didn't know, but God being with you is the greatest gift that you could ever have on Christmas. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on this for a little bit, okay? Um, now, i got to do some teaching. Jesus coming to earth and being fully man and fully God is really confusing. That he would come and be incarnate, okay? That's where we get carne asada. Come on, where are my taco people at? Come on. Um, to be honest, that's where the word comes from. Yeah, they, oh, oh, now there's faith when it comes to carne asadas. Well, well. <laughs> well, well. I'm just kidding. Um, one theologian said this, that Jesus is the full 200%. He's 100% God and 100% man. You know that we couldn't get to God, so God got to us? Let me put it this way. Uh, he was man enough to cry at his best friend's funeral, Lazarus, but he was God enough to say, come back to life. Well, I like that he's fully man at that moment, but then he's still fully God. He was man enough to get tired and thirsty and sit by well, but he was God enough to tell the woman, hey, I'm living water. You'll never be thirsty again. Oh, there, there's somebody. He is man enough to be wounded like you and I, but he's God enough to say, hey, look at the scars. doesn't define my life. He's man enough to die on a cross, but he's God enough to conquer the grave. What I love is we don't have a God that just identifies our pain. We have a God who can heal our pain. And he's a God that comes to be with us. He came to be with man, to cry with man, to feel what man felt, to be tempted like man, to literally live the life that we were living and to show us that there is more to life than living the way the world lives. He comes and they ask for worldly solutions. Be our political leader. He goes, man, that's a, that's a worldly solution. I got a heavenly solution. I'm going to die on a cross for you. I'm not going to bring worldly solutions to a kingdom God. I'm going to bring kingdom cries to a kingdom God. Oh, may your kingdom come to me and come through me. May the love that you showed to the people of the earth at that moment, may I show it again. I want to uh, read you something real quick. Uh, there's something to be said that, that Jesus came and said, man, they're just missing it. Pharisees were crying about Pharisee things. Worldly political people were caring about political things. And Jesus said, i got to go show them who I am. I need to put flesh on and show them the love of God, the kindness of God, the power of God. And once they see that, they'll actually not be confused anymore about who God is. I think one of the interesting things is people who have these definitions of who Jesus is. Have you ever talked to somebody who doesn't really know the Lord? Like, you know, I just feel like God thinks this. I just think God would do this. I'm like, that's not in the Bible. Like, like that's, it's not a debate. Read the Gospels, and here's actually how God would handle something. He would handle it with grace. He would, he would raise the standard in your life, not lower the standard. He's like, I just think God would hate that. No, actually, God would come to that person, love them where they're at, and, but he's not going to let them leave. They're like, hey, go and sin no more. There's something about this where Jesus could have just got rid of all sin, but instead he came to earth, conquered sin, and showed us that we could conquer too. The first gift is this, that God showed us that he's bigger than any problem you have. If you... If you can read anything this Christmas, just read the Gospels. And as you read the Gospels, you'll see that there is a God that is with us that will enter into your pain when you lose, the pain when you're hurting, and not only enter into it, but he can conquer it. That's a great gift, amen? Second one is this, the gift of seeing more. So first gift is God, God being among us. I think it's a big deal. Second one is the gift of seeing more. Mark 10 is this amazing story of a blind beggar. I want to read it to you. 
Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Can I tell you, people who don't quit in the Bible, it usually works out well for them, like all the time. So just don't quit, okay? When people tell you to quit, tell them to shut up, and then you keep shouting, okay? Uh, did you tell me to, I could say shut up? Yeah, yeah, your pastor said you could. Okay, uh, <laughs> Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet. Isn't it funny? So the people are saying, be quiet. He now tells them, hey, go call him. So they come and say, cheer up. So people say, be quiet, and they're saying, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Man, God loves to take the things that we're telling you to stop and then have them be your platform to actually where you're supposed to go. I love that about our God. Come on. God doesn't not only win every battle, he never wastes a battle. Every battle's been, but he doesn't only win the battles, he doesn't waste any of it. One theologian said this, I thought it was fascinating. The walls of Jericho, when they fell, some theologians say that they even fell in a way that they became a ramp for them to walk into the city. So, so when you're in a battle, know this, God's not wasting any of it. Cheer up, he's calling you. Come on. And so he goes on to say, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Now, this cloak is very fascinating because if you were a blind beggar at this moment, the government would actually give you a certain type of cloak that would give you permission to beg. So he's blind. Hey, you're blind. Here's the official cloak because the cloak that you didn't wear, you actually put it on the ground and that's where they put the money. And then you take the money and then you'd go live your life because you're a blind beggar. And all of you, if I'm being honest, you can identify the blind beggar more than you think. Because all of you, as you grow up in this world, I don't know if it's on accident. I don't know if it's through you trying. I don't know if it's through the school system. But all of you have been given a cloak. All of you have been given something from the world that has defined you as some type of person. Maybe it's a, it was sports, so you put on the sport cloak of success. So this is just who I am. This is my identity. Maybe it's career. Oh, career is my thing. Money's my thing. Looks is my thing. People liking me is my thing. Me being funny is my thing. Me being the bright, funny person or the kind person. Me being mysterious is my thing. You know, whatever your thing is. Being contrary is your thing. Whatever it is. And so you just hold on to that identity. And what is amazing about this blind man is he throws that cloak off. A blind person is going to show you how to walk today. A blind person is going to lead you today. So many people arrogant thinking they know how to live their life. And this blind man throws off his cloak. And this is, there's a big reason. Uh, I want to hear this way. He's not, the cloak doesn't mean just throwing it off. He's throwing off his old identity because he knows something new's happened in his life. He doesn't bring, I, I should bring my cloak just in case. Well, just in case he only kind of heals one eye, you know. No, no, no. I'm throwing my cloak because the king of kings is calling me. And I'm going to get a new cloak. I don't know what it looks like yet, but it's going to be good. And so he throws off his cloak. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. What do you want me to do for you? Woo! Right before this, the disciples had the same question. What do you want from me? And the disciple says, we want you to have a sit at your right and left. A.K.A. it was a worldly response, uh, a question of, can we have the best drink and the best food? You can have the best, Jesus, but we want second best. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he will come up to his people and say, what do you want from me? Just sit with that question this week. That the king of kings would sit to you and say, what do you want? And what would be your response? And something I always ask myself with that response is, if God answered all the things that I wanted, would my world look different or would the world look different? There's something to be said. Man, Christmas shouldn't just look different for me. It should look different for everybody. And so he says, what do you want from me? And I love his answer. He goes, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Stop. Um, 
there's something about seeing more for your life. There's something about seeing something you've never seen before. And I just got to put a caveat on this real quick. Rachel and I, about five years ago, uh, we went uh, to Maui and we stayed at the Four Seasons. Anybody been to the Four Seasons before? No, I know. Okay, wow. Very frugal church. <laughs> or you're embarrassed to say you have. Uh, so, I, we, I, again, qualifier, I used my credit card points, okay, uh, to go for three nights. And then we went to another hotel, okay, afterwards because we can stay there the whole time. I didn't been to Four Seasons. I didn't know the big hoopla. I was like, it's Four Seasons, whatever. You know, like, I, I, all I know is it's expensive. You know? uh, this one, I knew that LeBron had stayed there. Okay? Uh, that Steph Curry had his little daughter's birthday at this uh, Four Seasons. So I was sold. Okay? Um, and so we're, we get there, for, you know, and I'm like, man, are they, is this really worth that much money a night? So I remember getting out of the car. And uh, right before, when I get out of the car, this lady walks up to me. I don't know who she is. And she puts a, a little, uh, they called Lays, I think, around your neck. She puts it around me. And she goes, welcome home. And I was like, I am home. Uh, this, this is my home. I was built for this. This, this is how I'm supposed to live, you know. And, and so you give them your, uh, your little card thing for the card and the car. And then the next lady walks up to me. I don't know how she knew, but she's like, here's your lavender iced tea, Mr. Johnson. And I was like, I'm, oh, my God. You know, uh, well, you know, a drink from heaven. I was like, I was like this is amazing. I was like, uh, and we, we haven't even checked in the hotel yet, okay. And I'm having the best time of my life, okay. And so they check me in, have somebody show us to our room. They have, uh, you know, welcome to the Four Seasons, Mr. Johnson. They have a little gift on the bed. You know, uh, they have, uh, they don't have a Keurig in there, okay? You know, some Keurig or whatever it is. They got an espresso, the George Clooney espresso machine, okay? Um, so you're going to have some high-end stuff, all right? Um, the TV isn't like some 35-inch one. They have like a 65-inch TV on the wall. I'm a big TV guy, so that's important to me, okay? And I was like, God bless you, Four Seasons. Amazing three days. Well, uh, we end up, uh, you know, having a great time. Uh, a few months later, I remember we had to go down to L.A. for a work thing, and I'm staying at a Marriott, like residence inn. Yeah, like where you like, like they actually have like a living room in there or whatever. I remember walking in and just waiting for somebody to greet me with some kind of necklace. Oh, we don't do that here. Okay, okay. I'm walking to the check-in counter waiting for my tea. Anybody? Oh, we don't do that here either. Okay, 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 okay. And I remember like, just telling Rachel I felt broken. I was like, I'm not built for the Marriott. I'm built for the Four Seasons. Like, we can't do this anymore. Like, you guys stay at Four Seasons only. We have never been to one since, by the way. Uh, yeah. Oh, maybe one time uh, in San Francisco, forgive me. A friend took care of it, a gift, also pastor qualifier. Um, if not, you'd be like, the pastor stays at Four Seasons. Uh, anyways, um, trust me, I've been at church long enough to know. Qualifier, okay. Anyways, so um, I remember being like, man, like, I've seen more, I've tasted more. Marriott, four seasons, yes, you know. And what Jesus came to do is a lot of people settle for Marriott type of lives, Marriott type of marriages, until you see more. Have you settled for the cloak of just meh? Oh, this, what I hate about when you start to really preach the gospel, people are like, you're just being too positive. No, 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 I'm not being too positive. I see the mountain. I just see a God that can move the mountain, okay? I get it. I see a crooked path, but I see a God who can make all paths straight, okay? I get it. I see a marriage that, that could be better. I see a marriage that maybe is a little lukewarm. I see a marriage that's in a valley, but I see a God that can make it a peak again. That's just what I see. I'm sorry. I see those kind of things because I know my God does not have me live a Marriott life. My God is going to have me live a Four Seasons type of life. I want to read you a C.S. Lewis quote real quick. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joys offer to us. We're half-hearted creatures settling for the Marriott and not going to Four Seasons, okay? 
I don't want to yell to you for about the four seasons. Like an ignorant child who wants to be on, go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Man, my bar is raised now. And the more and more you fall in love with the Lord, the more and more your bar will be raised. Man, my, 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 I grew up in a home where fighting was the norm every day, that surviving was the norm, that responding poorly was the norm. And then I found the Lord and I said, man, that is not supposed to be normal in my life. And now in my house with my wife, we laugh a lot. Do we fight? Sure, once in a while. She's Italian. But it's cool. Um, <laughs> but when we fight, we reconcile quickly. Yeah. I'm, and it's me. I'm Tyler. I'm a big, dumb animal. I'm also ferocious. Horror. You know? um, but, man, in our house, man, our, our climate, it's not Marriott climate. I mean, we're aiming for four seasons. And when, when it's not there, we, what's going on? Time out. Time out. Let's work on this. This isn't where we live. I've seen more. You've seen more. We don't, we, don't, we don't settle for this. The gift that God gave us was not this. He gave us this gift, and we're going to fight for this gift, and when we see it, we're going to pray for it. We're going to contend for it. Man, so many people in the room, can I tell you real quick, one of the greatest gifts God's going to give you is more. There's more for your life. And my last point, very simple, is uh, the last gift, the gift of seeing the opportunity. And really, I could say the gift of the mission. Um, how many of you know that there's three things that everybody wants in their life? They say you, you desire more in each season. The first thing you want in life is success. So when you get into your 20s, you know what drives you? Success. I want to be successful. I want to, I want to succeed in my job. I want to succeed relationally. Success, success, success. Just all success everywhere, okay? But then you get in your 30s and 40s, and all you think about is security. I just want to make sure that the person that I did find loves me and is secure, and we're together. And only that, I want to make sure we can pay our bills. And I want to make sure that I got a good 401k and medical. And, and, I, mean, I never thought about medical insurance, but now all the time, I'm like, how's your medical insurance? Is it a good one? What's my copay? You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, what if I have to go to the yard ER because I'm freaking out again about my chest? Oh, okay, we're good. Okay, good. Um, so then you think about security. And then last but not least, the thing that you care about the most, as they say when you get uh, past 55, is significance. Do I matter? And what's amazing is the three gifts God gives us, the first one is, is Emmanuel, God is with you. I'm going to be with you to help you succeed through things you can never succeed. God cares about you succeeding. Second thing God gives us is simply this. He gives us security. I'm going to show you more. The Holy Spirit is going to be your security. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. I'm going to protect you. And the last but not least, he gives you purpose, significance, your heart's desires. The three things that you're wired for all come from the Christmas gift. And so the purpose I want to show you is in John 4. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Uh, and again, you heard me say that real quick, growth is not an option. When hell is on the line. Come on. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Now, uh, if you don't know this story, I, I skipped down to the bottom. It's John 4. It's where Jesus was a little tired, a little thirsty, went sat by a well, uh, met the Samaritan woman. Uh, I never want to assume that you know the story. Samaritan woman basically was going in the middle of the day because uh, she was promiscuous in town. And at that, at that time, in that culture, like if you're promiscuous, you ain't getting Christmas cards during Christmas. You ain't getting invited over for Christmas. You is a lone wolf because you are an outcast because you live in a life of shame. So, so many things about this story. Jesus, even in culture, you're not supposed to talk to women in public like this. Jesus didn't care what culture thought. I love that Jesus didn't care what culture thought. Culture was told never to do this. I don't care about what culture thinks. I care what God thinks. If you're going to want to be effective for the kingdom, can I just tell you something real quick? Don't care what culture thinks. Culture is a powerful thing that's trying to control you. Don't let it control you. Let the gospel control you, okay? Let that lead you. So, uh, so Jesus talks to her. He talks for a while, uh, starts telling her, hey, um, I may be thirsty for regular water, but I want you to know something. I'm living water. I could quench your thirst because your thirst for value, your thirst for um, being um, validated by a man. I can actually fix that because I'm God. And so he does this, and his disciples come back in, in the middle of this conversation, and I love what they say. Just then his disciples returned and were uh, surprised to find him talking with a woman. 
But no one asks, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? I find this fascinating that John, who wrote the gospel of John, and also 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he put something in there that didn't happen. He like, why would you record what didn't happen? You know what we didn't do? We didn't wear our socks that day. You know, like, why would you put stuff didn't happen? You know, we didn't watch a movie that day. No, the, the didn't happen is so important, it had to make it into eternal scripture. Holy Spirit, I want you to illuminate real quick what happened. The disciples did not ask Jesus, what do you want? Because Jesus can ask you what you want, but you need to ask back, what do you want? And so they didn't ask Jesus what he wanted. They just wouldn't assume what he wanted. They wouldn't did their own thing. And, and so John says, hey, we missed it on this one. We didn't ask Jesus, what do you want? Christmas will never be fulfilled until you ask back, God, what do you want? And so he goes on. He goes, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to him, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Over and over again, opens a blind man's eyes to more. He's opening, he says, open your eyes. He's always trying to open our eyes to harvest. I, uh, um, I'm going to be 40 in July. I'm loving it. Okay. Um, I've looked 40 for a long time. It's cool. Um, but something that's happening is my eyesight is not what it used to be. And so I am nearsighted uh, now. And uh, if you don't know anything about vision, I think it's hilarious. Nearsighted means that you're good at it. Uh, it means I can't see far. It's the only thing like in like the medical professional where they actually like say what you're good at, you know, like near, nearsighted. You know, it's not like if your arm's broken, they're like, your leg's good. Like, you know, like, like what are you talking about? <laughs> like, like, just tell me my arm's broken. Like, like, they like tell you the opposite and then you got to break the code, you know? And so um, I'm nearsighted. And so like I can easily read here, but the countdown clock back there, my right eye, if I go like this, man, it is, I just, by faith, I know that I got a little bit more time, okay? Um, and so um, I'm, I'm now nearsighted. Uh, we were on a trip. Uh, uh, we went to, um, all right, I'm just going to say it. We went to France uh, for Thanksgiving. Not by credit card points. Don't judge me. Okay. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, but uh, we were getting on a train because we were going to go up to Strasbourg, a little Christmas market thing. And um, uh, we were with the Glaciers. And Parker is a young kid, and he got, like, Superman vision. And so we're trying to find a sign. And I remember uh, we're standing there, and we're like, we're supposed to be at da-da-da sign. And I'm like, I can't see it. And Parker's like, oh, that's e- AE79. And I was like, that, you, no way you can read that sign from here. Parker's like, no, it says AE79. I'm like, there's no way. That, I can't even see there's letters on that sign, you know? And so I go, I'll be right back. It's raining, but I'm like, there is no way. I remember walking there. I'm like, this little kid's a liar. You know, I was like, I was like I'm not that blind, you know? And I walk up, and I'm like, AE79. That kid is a superhero. I walk back, and I was like, Parker, it's AE79. He's like, yeah, this is what I said, you know? And I remember going like, man, like, I can't believe you can see something I can't see. And it made me think of this. We are all born spiritually nearsighted. And if you can't see it, you don't care about it. And what's happening when Jesus comes to the earth is that we're so entrenched in our own things, looking at our own problems, and what he's saying to the disciples is, your own problem right now is, what are you going to eat today? That's very nearsighted. Can we agree with that? Man, I wear, like, even after church right now, what you're probably not thinking about who do I show the gospel with. You're probably saying, Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out? Oh, Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday. That stinks, you know? Uh, ah, come on, Chick-fil-A. You know, I don't know, okay? I can't eat chicken. I'm allergic. But what's fascinating is they are so nearsighted talking about the next meal, and Jesus is talking about eternity. 
And he's saying, I'm trying to get you to be able to see far side also. I'm trying to have you see the kingdom with your, your spirit. And so he's trying to open their eyes to the purpose of why they are alive. It's to expand the kingdom. And so a lot of you, this Christmas, you've been nearsighted. I'm praying God opens your eyes to see things you've never seen. You need a Jesus in your life to say, can you, I see it. Do you see it? Because here's what Jesus says. Just like the signage I couldn't see, here's what he goes on to say he could see. He goes on to say, even now, the one who reaps and wages, uh, uh, wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so the sower and reaper may be glad together. That's the same one sows and another reaps. It is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of the labor. He goes on to say, the harvest is ripe. Take a look. The harvest is ripe. Uh, one of the things I love about um, you know, reading the Bible is I love studying the history of it. So if you know anything about harvest, uh, then you just go out there and just use your hands and just start picking up you know, the harvest uh, stuff. Because there was a field there, so Jesus is using a very tangible parable to teach them about harvesting. They actually had a tool where they would cut the thing and they would have to sharpen it first before they went out there. And they would cut the wheat and then they would harvest it. So something about having your tool sharp. And something I thought about this Christmas, I was like, man, like, if Christmas is just going to be for Mission Church, we're going to miss it. And so I was putting the message together. I was like, oh, I'm going to put a big evangelistic bent on, on the last message, um, on, on the last point of today. Because I, I want you to know Jesus is with you. I want you to know Jesus has more for your life. But, man, if it stops there, oh, the church, we just, we just missed it. And so uh, one of my things I want to do is I want to show you uh, four things, uh, four ways to sharpen your tool to evangelize, okay? First thing is this for the church. You ready for this? You need to own the responsibility of evangelism. You're hearing somebody, oh, that's just not, I'm just not built to evangelize. You know, can I just say real quick? It's a mandate. It's not a built thing, you know? Um, like, there's a handful of mandates. If you don't feel like you're uh, supposed to pray, you know, you're mandated to pray, okay? It's not like, it's not an option. Like, man, that's, I'm, I'm gonna leave that to the prayer warriors, okay? No, 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 no. We're all supposed to pray, you know? I'm not charismatic. I'm not really that, you know, um, uh, good at, like, talking to people. So I'm, I, God didn't create me to be evangelist. No, no, no. All of us. Open your eyes. The harvest is ripe, Okay. So, so the first thing is you got to own the responsibility. It makes me think of this story that I shared at our team prayer this week. And it's simply this. There was this pastor who was in Europe. And I've heard a couple stories like this about taking kids to Europe. Uh, uh, and this pastor, basically, they're in Europe, and they lost their kid. Like, in the streets. I don't know if it was Paris or London. Forgive me. I don't want to give you a fake city. But uh, I'll never forget this story. So he lost his kid. And as he's looking around, he's literally crying. His family's, you know, scouring the city. And each corner, he's crying out to God. God, will you please help me find my son? Walks to another corner. God, please. Like, please. He's crying out his son's name. Please, will you help me find my son? Please, God. Please, will you help me find my son? Over and over again. Finally, he turns the corner, sees his son, grabs him, hugs him. You know, they rejoice. It's an amazing thing finds his son. pastor said he felt this impression where he simply said that, he felt like the Lord said, would you cry out for my sons and daughters like that? Would you not only have responsibility for your, your own son, but would you have responsibility for all the sons and daughters? And some of us, if I could just be honest, man, we have responsibility of our own little thing, but God wants you to get this. Like, for us to change the world, you can change your world. And if I change my world, you change your world, we could maybe change the world. So you got to have responsibility about the people in your grasp. The people that you're impacting, the people that you're talking to. So the first thing, you've got to own responsibility. Second thing is this. You need to develop a personal relationship with people. Now, we're too quick to do this now. But can you imagine the, at, the, at the well, Jesus sort of came up to the Samaritan. Hey, you need turn or burn. I, I know about you. You're one of them girls. Knock it off. No. Personal relationship is where it starts. Where you have to connect with people before you direct them. Can I tell you this real quick? You are not a judge, okay? Judges come in and just tell people where to go. 
Witnesses tell them about what Jesus done in their life. Wow. Like, can I tell you what Jesus did in my life? So have, when people start to have a relation with you, they start to find out about what Jesus has done in your life. And what happens is they find out, wow, you're actually pretty messed up. And it gives them hope for themselves. When you start sharing your junk and what Jesus is doing in your junk, they start to go, hold on a second. I thought Christians were supposed to be perfect, but you messed up. I like this. <laughs> Do you ever notice when you talk to people at the table and you start telling them about your problems, they like lean in, they're like, what? <laughs> you know, go, go out to lunch with another married couple and you tell them, you, you know, you two had a fight. They're like, oh, tell us more, you know? Like, there's just something about, like, people find out, I'm not the only messed up one. Please tell me what. I need to know you're messed Okay, good. Okay, good. Oh, good. The reality is, is I don't know when we got this new idea that Christianity is about us being perfect and attracting people that want to be perfect. No, no, no. Christianity is about having a personal relationship with people and telling them what Jesus is doing in your life, and he can do the same thing in theirs. Come on now. Sharpen your tool. Third thing is this. Is you got to look for an opportunity. It's funny. Like, sometimes I got a buddy. Uh, he's been single for a while. And one of the reasons why he's single is he honestly thinks that the Lord is just going to deliver his girl like to the front doorstep. You know what I'm saying? He's been praying her in. 40 plus years, he's been praying her in. I, he's asked out, I kid you not, I've known him for 20 plus years. We always talk about this. I asked him, can I have permission? He's like, oh, of course. Yeah. Um, he's asked a girl in the last 20 years, twice. You're not going to have a lot of success finding a girl average once every 10 years. It's not gonna, it's, you're not gonna, I mean, again, it's not going to work that well. And so as your pastor, I'm going to ask you this. Give me two Sundays out of the 52. Every year, think about two Sundays. I'm going to invite somebody to the house of God. I'm going to, when was the last time that you looked for the opportunity to invite somebody to church? Look for the opportunity to tell them about the good. When was the last time? Because Jesus was always doing it. And if we're supposed to be like Jesus, then we're missing that part of our life. And it's a Christmas gift to you because the more, you know what happens in church when you invite somebody? You care way more that day. You show up. I mean, literally, like when people, I get this every Sunday. Hey, I'm bringing my friend today. Don't suck. Okay, you got it. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Hey, Todd, my family's here. It's got to be good. <sighs> you know? You know, like, but when you bring somebody to church, there's a different ownership. And then, you know, the song comes on and you see like what God's doing in their life. And there's a fulfillment as you get to watch what Jesus does in their life. And you're like, Lord, you let me play a part in this. Thank you, Lord, that my pastor didn't suck today. You know? Oh, they played the good song today. Death was arrested. My favorite, you know? There's something to be said about when you start to own it and invite people. It makes a service come to life in a different realm than it ever had. You don't come in and be like, oh, the week was good. No, no, you care so much about that service that week. Last but not least, simply this, is you've got to love people every day, all day. That's a weird tool. No, 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 trust me. If we start doing that well, woo, it's over. It's an interesting thing to put in your tool bag. But something I tell myself all the time is that when I walk into a place, man, I don't know if one person's got encouragement today in this Starbucks. I don't know what they've experienced. And so I'm always ready to love people well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish. But there's something to be said about a church that loves well. Because if you love well, you invite well. If you invite well, people feel like it's a place where it's safe to be. Come on. I think the worship team's coming up, yes? I said it. <laughs> I don't see him. No, you know, no worship team? You don't want me to do no worship team? No, there's been nobody moved. It's so the first time Mission HQ, don't judge us, okay? Hey, all right. It is a long walk. HQ is much bigger. Let's talk about movies real quick while they come up, huh? Just kidding. I want to finish with a simple thought. And uh, again, three greatest gifts, Jesus with you, Jesus showing you more, and Jesus giving you a purpose to actually tell people about Christmas. Um, 
I, uh, I've always had this tension in my life until I studied for this message is, God, what's the most important thing to you? And there are denominations over this. Like, there are books upon books written about this. And so you'll have one book written. The most important thing is the glory of God. In discussion. Jesus came to give glory to God. And the more and more that I read his word, you'll see that that's 100% true. So 100% of the reason why you're alive this week is to know that God is with you, but to glorify God why he's with you. So that's 100% true. But then there's other denominations, other people like, well, no. Even Jesus, like Luke 15, like, like, the number one reason why Jesus came was to save the lost. Lost sheep, lost coin, prodigal son. It's a big reason. It's 100%, that's why he came, 100%. 100% reason why I came was for his bride, for her bride, the bride to be everything called, so discipleship. And can I tell you real quick that it's 100% glory, 100% evangelism, and 100% discipleship? The church is the full 300%. Theologians said Jesus is the full 200%. He said you do greater things. I always wonder what that looked like. And really, I think it just means God gave us another 100% to carry as we're here. And so this week, be about his glory. This week, be about evangelism. This week, be about becoming everything God called you to be, the more that he's promised over your life. Can we bow your heads? I know it's your first time in church, second time in church, but my prayer is simply this, is that if you never said yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing, you never said yes to salvation, the Bible clearly shows that when you say yes to him, that literally everything changes. It is the game changer of all game changer life. It's, it's you literally starting a new beginning, uh, going from death to life. The Bible shows in Romans that we confess with our mouth and believe that he is Lord, that we are saved. The way that we respond here is we raise our hand and we pray for you. So if you never said yes to Jesus, never said yes to salvation, if you want to say yes to Jesus today with every head bowed and eye closed, I just want you to raise your hand and catch my eye on the count of three. One, two, three, raise it up. I say, I want to say yes to Jesus today. I see you and I see you and I see you. Come on, God's tugging on your heart. You heard something new today. You want more. God, I thank you for the hands that are raised today. God, I pray this Christmas, as we just kick off December, that we never forget that the best of us is God with us. That God, you're not a distant God, but you live with us today. That today, when we wake up, you're there. When we go to sleep, you're there. I think of the psalmist just saying, we cannot get away from you. We cannot get away from the love of God. It is chasing us down. But God, I, I thank you that not only did you do that, but you came to show us there's more for our life, that we'd raise the standard in our life. And last but not least, God, you showed us and you sent us, God. You sent us on a mission to let everybody know that Christmas is for everyone. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.